This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, our faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Teresa Swanstrom Anderson. She is an author, speaker, podcast host, Bible teacher, and entrepreneur. She's also known as a pink-haired theologian, and she is obsessed with the concept of living lighter while helping overwhelmed women learn how to slow down with scripture as well as in life. She lives in Denver. She grew up in Seattle. She spent her middle school years in Guatemala and has a deep love for people in developing countries. She lives with her husband and six children. So, of course, she spends her days wiping off sticky counters, Instagramming and blogging over at TeresaSwanstromAnderson.com. She's written over four Bible studies. She is just absolutely amazing. But today we talk all about parenting and it kind of went in a direction that I wasn't expecting originally where we really get into her story of adopting and what led her to adopting uh, multiple children and including a surprise adoption, which you'll hear that whole story, including all the complexities around it. And she just shares so much wisdom. She is hilarious. And I loved our conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Teresa Swanstrom Anderson. Well, this is already such a treat because for the last 17 minutes, we have not even been recording. And I already feel like I have a new best friend in Teresa Swanstrom Anderson, which say that three times fast. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, I think that we need to live next door to each other. I also feel that on a deep level. And um, yes, so you are just already the light of my day. And I'm so excited to have you and welcome. Thank you for being here. And let's have you just jump right in and give us the Teresa Swanstrom Anderson 101, who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, the 101. So it's funny because on my podcast, I do like, give me your life story in 60 seconds. Because <laughs> when, when I lead Bible studies, this is what we do to the new people is, uh, you know, share your story in that that quick a time. And right. it's funny what, what people leave out. And, uh, you know, they'll spend 30 seconds talking about their second grade teacher and forget to say that they have kids. Right. And yeah. <laughs> So uh, my quick version of my story is born in California, spent most of my growing up in Seattle, uh, spent my middle school years in Guatemala in the 90s, um, which there was a ton of, you know, guerrilla warfare as a time of huge civil unrest. Um, there was a hit out on my dad. So we mm. ended up fleeing the country. We came back to Seattle and eventually I got married to um, a guy that I thought was a big douche. <laughs> and I <laughs> realized, no, actually, he's awesome. And um, 
I do think he's awesome and he's wonderful. And I thought that I never wanted kids. My plan for my life was to get my master's and doctorate in art history and move to Europe and be a curator at some fantastic museum, preferably Italy, because I'm sure that's a really easy job to get. Yeah. <laughs> and be a light for the Lord in the art world and realized one day that I had never really consulted God in any of those plans. And so one day it was, you know, I lived in Seattle and there was a bench that overlooked the Space Needle. And if any of you are Grey's Anatomy fans, you will know this bench because it was right next to Meredith Grey's house, supposedly in the show. And this was way before Grey's Anatomy ever came out, but that was my bench. And again, it looked over the Space Needle and I was sitting there with my Bible and my journal and um, was just watching the hubbub of all the, all the, you know, cars and people and all the busyness of downtown Seattle. And um, I felt like the Lord was saying, what life are you after? That life of just the busyness and the hustle and bustle and the toiling? Um, or, and I looked over um, to my right and saw a ferry boat going from um, the pier of, you know, downtown Seattle to the San Juan Islands. And I felt like he was saying, or could you possibly be okay with a slower paced from point A to point B? more intentional life and you know could you possibly be more interested in that and that's when i realized gosh what am i after what am, am i striving for something that i am not really purposed for so i held my hands open that day and just said okay lord send me use me yes <laughs> i don't know what i'm saying yes for i don't know what i'm saying use me or send me to but yes, this is, you know, if I'm going to live one life, I want to live it for you mm. uh, for whatever you're, you know, planning. And I want your story for my life. So that really changed the trajectory of everything. And I didn't know what he was calling me to, but I knew pretty quickly what he was not calling me to. And he was not calling me to art history. And that was a huge, um, really knife in my chest because I was very much in love with art history mm. and um, just really was a passion. Um, so fast forward to meeting my previously douche, wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> awesome husband who I cherish so much. And um, we uh, adopted or we had two biological boys. And uh, again, through the years, I decided, oh, I actually do want kids. So had two biological boys that we call our blondies and um, adopted four amazing, beautiful kids from Ethiopia. And in the span of all this, became an author and started writing Bible studies. I have one book that's memoir-ish, but it's not really memoir. It's more, it's about um all this that i just shared yeah. it has a lot of it's more about what to do with your dreams and your passions and how to release all that and and what to do with the waiting period so it's really more than a memoir it's it's really for anyone that's in a a period like that and um so yeah i started writing these bible studies and it's so interesting because it was until last year that i have still been almost not angry but just 
there's almost been just a part of my heart that's been, well, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit angry at God. And I, I haven't really let myself be in many art you know, and in many museums, I used to just pour over art books and I used to paint all the time. And I honestly was pretty good. And I just, I lost all of that because mm. it just hurt too much. And um, until last year, I was praying about it. And the Lord really impressed upon my heart when I was saying, God, why did you waste that? All those years and all that passion, why did you waste that? And he said two things. One, I don't waste anything. Mm -hmm. And two, you study scripture exactly the way that you studied art history. Oof. And every everything that I loved about art history, aside from the art itself, obviously, was I loved all the behind the scenes. I wanted to know everything that was going on with the artist personally. And I wanted to know what was going on socially, economically, um, politically what was going on within the city at the time, historically, like all that stuff that inspired the artists to create whatever they created, the painting of the sculpture, whatever. And that is how I studied the Bible. I want to know socioeconomic stuff. I want to know all that behind the scene things. And um, that is what I do within scripture, because we forget so often that um, we are coming to the Bible with our Western mentality. And uh, with our 21st century, you know, everything. Yeah. And we forget that ancient Israel is thousands of years and thousands of miles away. So we need to know all that stuff because otherwise we are misinterpreting, misunderstanding. And um, therefore, not only are we living scripture incorrectly, but we're probably teaching it incorrectly as well. So. That is a big portion of how I teach people to go through the Bible. And it's not me teaching. It's really me teaching the reader right. how to study scripture themselves. Oh. So I really want, I want to teach myself out of a job, basically. I want people, I want women to not need me. <laughs> I love that. And I also love that. Uh, because that is, I mean, that's, I, we have a shared passion and I, I knew that we were meant to be friends because that is a huge, um, a huge piece of, of what I love too. And I've got, I've really fallen in love with, I mean, I became a Christian in, in 2012 and, um, but didn't really, it wasn't really until I would say 20, honestly, 2018, if I really think back, 2018 is the year that was the most difficult year for me personally, but is the year that my faith grew the most. And I became just ravenous for studying scripture and studying God's word. And it changed. I mean, now when I say, I don't say this lightly to say that it changed my life. And it changed my walk with the Lord and it changed my marriage and it changed the way I see my kids. I mean, it changed everything. It, it, I felt a call to to do ministry. I mean, it was, I mean, I, so much like you with the art history calling, I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. That was my dream was to awesome. be on Saturday Night Live. And that's all I wanted to do, as I've talked about on here many times. 
And yeah, and I had those those days where I was going, God, why did you have me do that? I mean, I realized that I didn't know you at the time, but why did I do all that improv training? And why did I go to New York City and study all these things? And now I use those improv skills and those the sketch writing skills and all those skills. I use them every single day. And I'll tell you, uh, if you want to be a better parent, take an improv class. (laughs) But I definitely had to have that conversation with God and ask like, what is it that you, how would you have me use those skills? And how would you have me bring joy and bring laughter to people and um, all of that? But so I, I, but again, I just, I love the Bible. And I love also, you know, helping people to read and understand the Bible for themselves. I love being able to talk about, hey, there's some also just some bananas stuff in the Bible. There's some weird, some weird stuff. The Bible is not boring by any... It's not boring. And people say the Old Testament is so boring. I'm like, have you actually read it? It's so full of drama and like... I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, okay, so I'm doing um I'm doing a study right now that is going through uh first and second kings and uh some of the minor prophets during that time and so it's really looking at the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And this is the first time that I, I mean, I've read through the Bible chronologically five five-ish times, but you know, covered it. So it's not that I haven't read this stuff before, but when you really stop and you study it and you read it, you realize I think there's some lines in there that are just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like I mean, I, like we just uh, we just read Elisha, and it's just like Elisha dies, and then there's this ran- one random line where it's like, oh yeah, and then they put his body in a tomb, and then they threw a dead guy in there with him, and the dead guy touched Elisha's bones and just comes back to life, and then it just moves on, and it's like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Huh? Can we settle on that for a minute? What happened? I have questions. <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, or when you I ever think... listen to the Bible binge? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. <laughs> Love it. But it's stuff like that. And then there's and then there's a king. And forgive me because there's a million kings. Um, but then there's a king. And he's uh, which one was it? I don't remember. Ahaziah, I don't know, where it just says like, you know, he was he was a good king and then he was bad and then he had a foot disease and he died. And I just am like, I like that the writer of this was so petty, was like, I'm going to let you all know that this guy had a foot disease and it was nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Like This was so important that it needed to be included. All of you needed to know that this king had this nasty foot disease. And by the way, he died. (laughs) And it's just like. Yeah, but I'm telling you, the Bible is full of romance and intrigue and adventure and people touching bones and coming back to life. I'm saying diseases and diseases, foot diseases. (laughs) People need some athlete's foot. I don't know. Um, I'm just saying like it's yeah, it's so good. So I love your passion for this. Um, And I just love the way that you approach this. And for the listeners, I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Uh, Go check out all of uh, Teresa's Bible studies, you, your most recent one, um, finding your, what is it? Finding your, yeah, finding your place in God's story. Finding your place in God's story. I was like, what is it? Finding your what in God's story place? Duh. <laughs> oh, I tell you the synapses in well, my brain. Even I, I put a reel out and I said, finding your story <laughs> in God's place. <laughs> and one of my dear friends who's our pastor's wife was like, 
isn't it the other way around? And I was like, shoot. And it was a real, and it was like, like on the actual, you know, yeah. real itself. So I couldn't change it. And I was like, I spent so much time on that stupid reel. I'm just going to leave it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and just hopefully no one else notices. No, nobody else is going to notice. <laughs> Everyone is going to notice. I'm just Everyone's letting you know. Everyone's going to notice. It's so embarrassing. Oh, so good. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, I want all everyone to go check out uh, your Bible studies because you really do. You're so talented with this. And it's, it's, I love that you're like, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Such an incredible and <laughs> inspirational uh approach. Um, But one of the main reasons that I really wanted to bring you here today was because um, we're in this parenting series on the Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder podcast. And I mean, I've got young kids age six and nine. And parenting is hilarious. And I laugh all the time. And then parenting also makes me cry. And parenting is really hard. And I love your story of being a woman who did not want children to becoming a mother of six. No, God, I think laughed at me. (laughs) (laughs) So can you walk us through how that shift began in you? Because I know that that's not the, the, I mean, that's a story that I've heard more than once. (laughs) Okay. So the reason why initially I didn't want kids is for some reason I had in my brain that that families were like every afternoon special or Disney movie where, (laughs) you know, the boys have frogs in their pockets and come in with mud all over their whole bodies. And suddenly there's paint buckets being spilled all over the living room. And you know, the movies I'm talking about. Oh yeah. This is not my childhood. So why I thought that that's going to be my family is, I don't know. Um, But I don't know, it just super stressed me out. And then I babysat, I don't know, probably four times in my entire life. But two of them were complete disasters. Oh my gosh. And one of them um, was these two sweet kids who lived in a house that was basically, you can't touch anything in the house. Everything was antiques. Everything was like you know, linen tablecloths that were, you know, hand crocheted or hand whatever by, you know, Mother like, Teresa. <laughs> like, just like, super and, uh, so don't don't let them in this room and don't touch this and, you know, all the things. And so I'm stressed out. And so I was dealing with or helping or something with one of the little girls. And, you know, they were both young elementary and preschool. And so I was helping with one kid and the other kid had gone into the fridge and gotten grape juice and was helping herself to a, a glass on grandma's linen tablecloth. And it got, of course, everywhere. So solidifying my idea of the afternoon special. Yeah. And I'm, I don't even know what to do. And, and so, um, you know, we go outside i'm thinking okay well they can't get into trouble outside we'll just go outside and so we go outside and we go for a walk and we come back and the door's locked and i don't have a key and this was before cell phones and so we're just sitting outside and we live in seattle and it was raining and we didn't really have kids and it was freezing and i'm just like kids suck and this sucks I hate this and I hate babysitting and I never want kids. And so anyway, that's kind of where I was coming from. 
Um, but when Ben and I were, we only, we were best friends for a long time and we worked together. And then, um, one day we kind of realized we were in love <laughs> and I love then we officially dated for four months and we were engaged for four months and we got married. So within this like short stint of kind of dating, but I don't know, whatever it was, um, we went to an auction and there was a black and white photograph um being auctioned off and it was a black and white photograph of a little boy in Malawi praying and we knew that we wanted to live a life outside of ourselves we knew that we wanted to live differently but we didn't even we didn't know what that meant we didn't know what that looked like um we just talked about we just knew that there was some something bigger than ourselves Um, and that night it was just like God took the blinders off of our eyes and we're like okay adoption um and at that point even before it had nothing to do with ben really i think that the lord was just working on my heart um with the idea of having kids and um i was talking to my best friend at the time her sister and her sister lived in dc and um i wanted to move to dc and this was you know shortly after knowing that i wasn't going to be in the art world and I just wanted to be out there. I wanted to do something. I wanted to, I don't know, just do something more than what I was doing. Right. And um, her sister, and I I just, you know, said, I don't want to have kids and this and that, and this is what I want to do. And her sister was like, wow, your Christmases are going to be really boring. And I was it, just that one silly offhanded comment that meant nothing to her meant everything to me. Mm. And all of a sudden I was like, wow what kind of life am I building? What am I wanting? And the Lord just kind of used that as a starting point in, again, opening my hands once again, because once you say yes, it is not a blanket statement. It is a constant every day, right? you know, saying it over and over. Yes, to all sorts of things and to that one thing over and over and over. So that's just kind of where it started. And, um, you know, when we said yes to him about the adoption, that, you know, was years away from actually happening. But that's where it all began. And so now you have uh, six beautiful children. And um, so you had your your two boys biologically, and then you had the four from Ethiopia. Did you adopt all four at the same time? Or was that over a period of years? Yeah, we did everything you're not supposed to do. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love those stories. You know, that's just, that's just what we do. Um, so we, again, we had our two blondies and we wanted a baby girl. So we got on the baby waiting list as one does, cause everyone wants a baby. And we were matched with a sweet little girl. And we just really felt like the Lord was asking us to bring home an older boy. So we um, were just praying over, well, so on our agency's website, kind of on the back end, you need a password to get on it, but it's all the, they call them waiting children. So these children are literally paper ready. They're literally waiting for people to pick them. Mm. And it's, you know, Everyone wants a baby, like I said. And so these are either the older children or these are children with medical needs or, you know, whatever. And so Ben and I would just pray over these sweet little faces um, after we put um, Anton and Leith to bed. 
probably every week or every other week, just that the Lord would um, bring families to them and that they would feel love in the meantime, that they would be taken care of. And one night, this one little boy's face, just there's something about him. And, you know, it's not that he was cuter than the other ones. They are all so cute. I know. And um, so we um, ended up bringing him home. There is much longer, really cool, only God story that... I don't know. I I could tell if I don't know how much time you want me to take on that, but it's a really cool God story on bringing him home. And then um, we moved to Denver not long after that. And um, again, we well, we had bought a house that was deemed uninhabitable. And so we were very financially invested and time invested in this home. And, you know, Ezekiel was still kind of getting used to having a family and all all the hard stuff that is involved with, you know, bringing an older child home. And it was nap time. And uh, I was just flipping through Facebook one day and I saw a teenage boy or I, I saw a fellow adoptive mom posting about a teenage boy. Um, and he was at one of the orphanage that our agency works with and i just burst into tears and we ben and i laugh because we're both scandinavian and you know we don't cry because we're (laughs) we're scandinavian scandinavian you know swedish swedes don't cry yeah uh so but i burst into tears and i was like oh my gosh this is my son just out of nowhere. Again, we were not looking to adopt, especially not a teenage boy. What in the world? Yeah. And um, I just knew this was my kid. And um, Ben and I are like annoying high school kids, like couple that text every five minutes and call each other all the time. And we're just, you know, that stupid, annoying couple. I love it. (laughs) but that day we were, it was just radio silent. It was like the Lord was preparing both of our hearts independently for a very big conversation later that night. So Ben gets home and he says hi to all the kids and comes into the kitchen and I'm stirring dinner on the stove and he comes and kisses me and he's like, Hey, we need to chat. And I turned around and I said, it's about a boy named Abram because I think it's our son, like just really quick. And his eyes get really wide and he's like, yeah, it is about a boy named Abram. And I think he's our son too. What? (laughs) And um, he had seen the same boy's story, different social media outlet, different person posting. What? Yep. And so we called our agency that next day and um, he was already kind of in the paperwork process with another family at that point, apparently. And she said, you know, off the record, it's not a good fit, but legally there's nothing I can do. So I would recommend you praying them out and praying that they, it doesn't happen. So it took several months, but we did, we prayed them out. Wow. <laughs> and that, notification a couple of months later that they decided on a sibling group instead of Abram. So um, again, the story is much longer and both those stories are in my first book, Beautifully Interrupted. But yeah, so suddenly we had a 14 year old boy that spoke not a word of English and had never had a family before. Um, So that was interesting. And um, right before, so within the 
within the process of bringing him home. So before, while he was still in the orphanage, but we were in the process of it. Um, we are getting out of church on Easter morning and I'm clicking all the kids in their five point harnesses and their seats. And Ben's done doing the same on his side. So he pops in his seat before mine and he just flips through his email real quick and sees that he has a email from our agency. We get emails from them from time to time, which is medical records or, you know, they went to the doctor or here's a picture or something. And so he had one from our, you know, and there was tons of pictures of this baby girl, tiny, teeny, tiny, precious baby girl. And he just was flipping through. And the last couple pictures are Abram holding this baby girl. And they're wearing these super cheesy, like 99 cent store Easter, like bunny headband things. Yeah. (laughs) They both look pissed about wearing it because what are these stupid things? Because it's not like they have those in Ethiopia. Um, And so he hands me the phone and he and he has tears in his eyes and i'm i'm like what is wrong with you i mean the service was good but (laughs) (laughs) and uh so anyway i start flipping through the pictures i'm like who is this and why is abram holding this baby and i don't understand what's going on and he's like read the email part and it says Congratulations, this is your baby girl. We're so excited for you. We already told Abram that this is his sister because we knew that you would say yes. And I'm like, Ben, I, I don't get it. Who is this? Why, why are they saying this is our daughter? And he was like, well, I kind of forgot to tell you that I put us on the baby waiting list. <laughs> so some people have a surprise pregnancy. I had a surprise adoption. <laughs> So my husband loves kids, as you can tell. Um, So that's kind of how we ended up with six. (laughs) Wow. So did you bring Abram and the baby girl at this back at the same time? At the same time, yes. And because we don't have family in state, it's, um, you know, we have to bring either my mom or his mom or someone in, you know, to take care of the kids. And at that point, I don't remember why, but I ended up going by myself to bring home both kids. And I remember being really excited about it and I really wanted to do it by myself. I don't know why, was I drunk? Why would I wanna do that? (laughs) Can I say that on here? Oh yeah, yeah. This is a place where you can say the honest, this is the, this is the place and the person and the conversation where you can just say the really honest raw stuff. And I think I think if you were to say that, I think secretly everybody listening was like, "Was she drunk? Like, was <laughs> why, why did I want to? I so I brought home a five month old baby girl and a fourteen month a fourteen year old boy that it didn't speak a literally didn't speak a word of English suddenly I had to be with this white lady who was suddenly his mom, who he didn't know. He had not, oh my gosh. Do you remember Elf when he's on the escalator? Yeah. Oh yeah. When he like, when he does the, the splits. That happened. Oh, Oh, sweet, sweet boy. 
He was so confused. <laughs> and the elevator, when we went in the elevator at the airport, he gets in, obviously, and he, the door closes and he's looking around like, why are people all looking at the door? And I'm so confused. So he's just like spinning around in a circle, looking at everyone confused. And then it opens up and it's a different view. And he thought it was like black magic. He was so bewildered. And I don't speak Amharic, so I can't explain anything to him. Yeah. And um, I do remember telling our in-country lawyer who kind of acted as our translator up until we went to the airport. Yeah. Um, I said, so I need you to tell Abram this. He needs to stay right with me at all times. And if if I have to go to the bathroom or if I have to go to the bathroom to change, you know, Elspeth's diaper, he has to stay right by the door and do not wander because I will never find him. And when we transfer planes, you know, they will, I think we cha changed planes in Frankfurt or somewhere yeah. where they didn't speak English or Amharic. So they would, you know, they would be saying his name with a German accent yeah, or wherever it was. And so he won't even understand because it's a different accent of saying Abram and just like, just walking through and how to, and I explained how to open up and lock the bathroom door in the airplane because I knew that would be confusing because our son Ezekiel, who was seven when he, you're just shy of seven when he came home, got locked in the bathroom in the airport or in the airplane. And oh no. Just all these silly things that you just don't, you don't think, think about. about. Um, we had to kind of consider. So yeah. Man. <laughs> well, I, I love your honesty and just the openness to sharing all of this. And it's funny how I always, I pray before every conversation I have, no matter who it's with or what it's about. And I always go, Lord, like, show me what you want to highlight today. And I feel like this is actually going down a rabbit, not a rabbit hole. That's not what I meant at all. Um, <laughs> this is going down a route. That's what I was trying to say. A or route a that I didn't expect. And that is, is the, and I love how you, you talk about just the, the hard, the beautiful, the the complicated nature of adoption. And um, so I actually want to unpack that a little bit because I, I think that this is something that, I mean, yes, there's certainly, if you're in adoption circles, then yes, it's talked about. But if you're outside of the world of adoption, especially with international adoption, but it's within domestic adoption as well, is a lot of these things aren't talked about. And there are so many complicating factors because one, I mean, no matter what, and yes, adoption is a beautiful thing. And I highly encourage people who are called to adopt to adopt, but also acknowledging that there is trauma involved is there is massive trauma involved for the children who have either lost their parents, maybe their parents you know, uh, weren't able to care for them or, uh, I mean, there's a, just a, a variety of factors that come into play here. Um, so you have that, um, if you are talking about transracial adoption, then you're talking about navigating, uh, you know, like you said, you're like, here's this 14 year old Ethiopian boy with this white Scandinavian pink haired woman who's just like, I, I mean, you don't know, what it, you know, you're talking yep. about cross cultural where you don't speak the language. Then if you've got uh, biological kids, then you're trying to navigate uh, how do you bond a family that wasn't biologically created together? Um, all of those things. Um, so obviously, there's a million different ways we could unpack this. But for you, as somebody who originally... <laughs> 
didn't even want children <laughs> to then yeah. go from zero to, to 60, if you know what I mean. What were some of the things that maybe you had the rose colored glasses when it come when it came to adoption that very quickly you learned this is going to be really hard. And what were some of the tools that you used to get through that? Mm -hmm. One thing that I want to mention that isn't within that question, and then I will answer that question is when I said that we did everything you're not supposed to do, I neglected to say what that meant. Mm. And what I did mean by that is you're not supposed to go outside your birth order. Mm. And we did that twice. So we kept bookending our blondies. And um, you're not supposed to do that because your oldest biological child supposedly will now feel like they don't know where their place is Mm. and they will feel displaced within the family unit. And what we have come to realize within that is that we neglect to consider the birth order of the adopted child. Mm. So, for example, Ezekiel, who for a while was the oldest because he was the first that we brought home that were was older than Anton. Yeah. He's not the firstborn, so he doesn't have firstborn tendencies. Right. So Anton, even though he's younger than Ezekiel, he was still the firstborn because that's just how he acts is more firstborn than he's still more alpha than Ezekiel, even though Ezekiel is older in age. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, and then with Abram, he's so much older than all of the kids that just like in any family, you almost have two firstborns. Mm. Um, you know, when you have one kid that's older and then you don't have a kid for a while and then you have another kid, you end up having two firstborns. So, um, just wanted to mention that. Yeah. So everyone is feeling the calling to do that and everyone's kind of poo-pooing it um, because we did not have one single person in our corner thinking that it was a good idea to bring Ezekiel home. Yeah. And then obviously we needed to listen more to God than to the people around us. We need to trust him more than our friends. Right. So, Back to your other question, though. <laughs> um, and now I lost the question. Um, no, you're fine. What I, was, yeah, I, I said like about rose-colored glasses and what sort of glasses. changed. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is that, I mean, people, people are so well-intentioned, but say the weirdest things to you. <laughs> yeah. And... I think that we went into it thinking, oh, we are going to help a child and we are going to, you know, we're going to help the community. And I don't know. I don't even think that we went into it saying we're going to save a child because that just sounds so gross and yucky. But people say that all the time. Right. Um, Well, there's, I mean, we can get into, I mean, there's a lot of white savior, saviorism, Western American culture, saviorism that can be involved in adoption. So we can just call a spade a spade (laughs) and admit that there are people that very much take that approach and often go into it with maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously have that in mind. Um, And so, but I think the importance of acknowledging that is, uh, is key. Yeah. 
And I think, I think that's exactly what I'm trying to say. You're right. I think I was just trying to beat around the bush and not call it out. Um, but I think that that's been a real big, like yanking the rose colored glasses off really. Yeah dramatically and harshly it's realizing you have to have hard conversations with people that are really uncomfortable sometimes and sometimes it's with people you know and sometimes it's with people that are strangers at the grocery store and you have to call them out in front of your kids and you know the lady at the check-in at the sunday school at the church that you're trying out when you first moved to town and she says are you going to keep them wow you're like (laughs) Excuse me? It's not a puppy. Are you going to keep them? Wow. Yeah, they're my children. Oh, I have one too. You have one what? I have one I have one adopted too. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're having a lot of troubles. Yeah, I can imagine. Wow. <laughs> I don't understand a lot of the things that people say. So, yeah, and I I now call it out, you know. Yeah. Um, are they, how many are yours and how many are adopted? No, they're all mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even on podcasts, I'll say, you know, I'm going to pause you right there and say they're all mine. Yeah. And so sometimes they end up cutting that out and sometimes they leave it in. Yeah. And I appreciate that they leave it in. I think that that's a person of huge humility Yeah. Um, that allows correction within, within that aspect. But that's really interesting. And I, I, as a someone who really is a people pleaser or maybe a recovering people pleaser, yeah. it's, it's a point of, I don't know, it, it's a lot less uncomfortable now than it has been in the past. But it's standing up for your kid. And, you know, you are your kid's biggest advocate. And it's, it's a big learning process. And I would say the other yank off of the rose colored glasses is just realizing how much racism there is in our country and you know even against our kids and it's so weird and you know one of our sweet kids he was probably in gosh third or fourth grade and he rode his bike to a neighborhood nearby to give one of his friends a teddy bear as a birthday gift Mm. and um an old white guy chased him down and was screaming at him to get out of the neighborhood and that he didn't belong here. And he came, you know, riding his bike home and crying and wondering why on earth this this white guy was chasing after him and yelling at him to get out of the neighborhood. And he was like, I was just giving a teddy bear to my friend for his, you know, for her birthday. And we had to sit him down and tell him why and that sucked yeah and you know things like that or you know one of our kids did admittedly shoplift from the grocery store down the street but so did four of his white friends and he was the only one that was followed from the security cameras Mm. and you know the police ended up having a conversation with and the other friends you know, ended up leaving the store with (laughs) stolen candy or whatever they took. So, you know, that kind of stuff happens a lot. Yeah. So just, yeah, it's, it stinks that that really is an aspect that we have to have conversations around a lot, but it does make me wonder 
what are our blondies going to do about it? Yeah. And now that our blondies have seen firsthand within our family, you know, what diversity truly looks like and racism looks like within the lives of their siblings, you know, what, who are they going to marry or what are they going to do when they grow up or, you know, what kind of stands are they going to make? It's just, I don't know. It makes me curious. Yeah. I'd be curious what, if, when you, cause I'm sure you have talked to other families who are praying about considering this, are there any particular resources or, uh, I mean, other than the Holy spirit and prayer, um, you know, obviously that, but are there any other resources that you tend to point people to when they're thinking about or praying about adoption in any form. Um, but especially when you're considering things like international or even transracial adoption. Yeah. So anything by Karen Purvis, she passed away a couple years ago, sadly, but she is kind of the Yoda (laughs) (laughs) of the adoption world. We had a lot of required reading and required um, classes and things like that within our adoption agency uh, when we were going through the process. And she has something called the Connected Parent and Created to Connect. And it's fantastic. Uh, so really anything anything that's by her, I would highly, highly, highly recommend. She also has some videos, things like that. Um, so those are great resources. Awesome. Awesome. That's so helpful. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I am really interested, especially with somebody like you, who you have six children, you write these incredible Bible studies. And I love that you're like my, I didn't want to have the, you know, sitcom, I think of like family matters or step by step or full house or whatever, like those 90s family sitcoms looked like. And so I know that your reality is not your children willingly all sit down every evening for your lovely devotional time. And everyone's like, yes, mother and father, please teach us about the Bible. Um, But on a practical level, and why are your children little British children? I don't know as I'm sitting. I have a whistle, just like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but what do they, you know, what, what, how do you practically kind of, are there things that you do with your kids that you have found have been really effective in doing Bible studies with them and, and, uh, helping them to teach them, uh, how to study the word? Yeah, it's such a good question because it is hard. In fact, I was just talking about this with my friend, Monica Swanson. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Um, and she has four boys and I was like, gosh, it's so much easier when they were little and you would sing Bible songs, I know, Bible stories and do crafts about David and Goliath or Jonah and just, you know, and then they get to be teenagers and they're like, you know, whatever mom. And, you know, this is lame. And I know this and why are you making such a big deal of it? about this. And, um, two of them go to a Christian school and four of them are in public school. 
And so, you know, two of them are like, I do this at school and whatever. So we've realized through the years that, um, well, first of all, every kid is different. Right. <laughs> surprise, surprise, um, spoiler alert. So every kid learns differently. So, um, you know, some kids really do like to journal and some kids really do, you know, have different learning styles and auditory and, you know, just different things. So we, we go, we have a cabin, um, cause one of our kids is a skier. And so during the winter months, we are up there every weekend. So we don't go to our physical church, um, most weekends during the winter months. So we have, we call it home church and it's literally at home. Yeah. Um, so if we sometimes we'll watch it, you know, virtually like we've all learned to do through I know, right? COVID years. And sometimes we will, okay, guys, we are going through this chapter or this passage. So um, you have 15 minutes or you have 20 minutes or whatever, go through it, give me your takeaways and you're teaching it. And that's a little bit hard for me because again, you're, we're giving them or they're teaching it from their 21st century Western point of view. Right. But this is, you know, it's baby steps and it's teaching them to read scripture and, and take, take some, some things away from it. So, you know, it's still not completely sometimes in context, but it's the beginning of helping them, you know, glean what they can. So then they'll teach us and then we'll kind of counter that and say, okay, we'll have you consider this, or this was actually going on at the time or, um, okay, well, that doesn't really make sense. So let's look in a, you know, let's look a little deeper. Let's, you know, I have the blue letter Bible app on my phone and such a good app. So good. Awesome app. Such an awesome app. I teach how to use that in my Bible studies. So I show them how to use that. And okay, what does the Greek or the Hebrew say? Um, so that we understand that better. So we'll do that. But also, really, the main thing is it's just in a constant conversation in our everyday. Yeah. So it's kind of like the whole sex conversation. If you sit your kids down and have a sex conversation, it's going to be really super awkward. Right. And I remember that conversation right. <laughs> when I was a kid. And it was the most awkward conversation ever. And it yeah. was horrible. And and I didn't want that for our kids. And Ben and I talked about it, you know, long before our kids were of age for it, you know, and, and just saying, we want to make this as you know, least horrible as possible. And so we decided, okay, we are just, you know, just in pass, not in passing, but, you know, just in constant conversation as they ask, you know, instead of, you know, well, how are babies made? Instead of, oh, well, uh, when a mom loves a a dad. When a man loves a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Or saying, oh, well, well, we'll talk about that later. Like, we'll, we'll tell them like literally that second. Um, so, uh, you know, the same kind of thing happens with conversations about God and conversations about whatever it is scripturally, or, you know, if they have a question that ends up being theological, we'll probably go more in depth than they feel like we should, but I get all babble nerdy about it. And Ben's like, that's probably more information than they need. (laughs) 
<laughs> as their eyes glaze over. But you know, again, it's just nothing is nothing is taboo in our house. Nothing is off limits in conversation. So they know that just anything Bible related, anything again, <laughs> apparently sex related. Yeah. Um, but just in general, it, everything is just a constant conversation, racially, you know, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's such an important piece of this is treating it like it's, I mean, if it, especially as it should be, it's a part of your everyday lives. It's, it's the, what you live and breathe throughout the day. I mean, all those things you need to treat it as such, um, especially with your kids and, and model this. And, um, actually I, uh, on my last episode, uh, for this series, I interviewed Sandra Stanley and she was talking about that was something that, you know, that they, that she and Andy really did that from a very early age with their kids is just, you know, modeling that and, and, you know, do your kids see you praying regularly? Do your kids see you with your Bible open and, and studying the word and do do your kids see you talking to God um, about things and, and consulting him on those things. I mean, all of those things are so, so, so important and making sure that you, again, it's just, it's modeling because you're, it's, you don't want it to become a do as I say, not as I do sort of situation. And so that's so key. And I love that you interweave it with, you know, all of the other aspects of parenting that, um, that, that are involved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am the same. We're the same way with our kids and that the sex conversation and all of the things I always say, I want to be your number one resource when it comes to these questions, because I know that you're going to have them and I don't want you going to other people to get Mm -hmm. information. I want you to hear it from mom and dad. And we're going to tell you the truth and we're going to honor you. (laughs) We're going to have the awkward conversation. I mean, we, so my kids are six and nine and just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was actually doing, um, my Bible study and my daughter and my son were sitting on the couch and my daughter was helping me with my Bible study. And I got to this one question in the study where it's, it was, I'm paraphrasing, but the question was something along the lines of, um, how do you know what is true when there are so many competing voices in the world? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but that was essentially what the question was getting at. And it eventually led us to having a conversation with our kids about pornography, (laughs) like pretty at length um, with our six-year-old and our nine-year-old. And some people would be like, why would you talk? And I'm just like, well, the reality is, is that they ride the bus and... (laughs) These are these are things that are talked about whether or not parents want to admit it is the average age that a child, the average, average, that means that they're younger and older, the average age a child is exposed to pornography for the first time is nine. And so my daughter is nine and my son is six. And so I am not immune to thinking that 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 they are somehow protected from that. And so we wanted to have a really open, honest, and we ended up having a conversation about it for about an hour. And they asked all these really great questions. And at the end, I was like, if you have any other questions, you can ask me literally anytime. It's so important. I mean, you think that (laughs) you have all the protections on your phones, your whatever. And it's so funny because the other day we got a new whatever protected whatever on our 
on our, you know, web everything. Yeah. And I was trying to do a briefing on my, uh, for a wine order. Yeah. And I was like, honey, I can't do a wine order because, um, you locked me out of the wine website. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, you have me locked down too, Annie. Yeah. Um, but you're right. You know, these little kids, um, and especially the kids that have um, parents that are divorced, yeah. we've noticed that a lot of our kids' friends with, um, you know, divorce, divorce going on um, because the parents want to be able to reach the kid i i guess i don't really know the reason i guess but um a lot of them have a phone at a very 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 early age yeah and so um one of our kids when they were in first grade um their first grade friend uh they were at their house and um they ran into the bathroom and looked up the word sex yeah and were watching porn yeah on little girl's phone and why they didn't have it locked down with all this stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah, the dad called me and was like, I'm so sorry. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Now it's, yeah, we had a lot of hard conversations and right. she saw a lot of things that she didn't understand. Yeah. So yeah, she was uh, seven Seven, I think. Yeah. Seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. And those, I mean, the reality is you can't unsee that. And it's um yeah. And so the yeah, it's so important to equip our kids with the the skills and the tools, the knowledge to be able to navigate the broken world we live in. Um, so important, so important. Um, man. Teresa, I could I need to have you back on to talk about like 15 <laughs> other topics. Um we kind of went serious. I know, but that's, but that's no, I, but see, here's the thing is, is we, we, what I loved about from where we even started to where we went and where we ended up and how we're going to end. I, that is what I envisioned really these conversations looking like is not being afraid to, um, and that's the whole idea of this, like the title of can I laugh on your shoulder is, you know, is a, obviously a play on can I cry on your shoulder, but just this idea of, we need to be in community with each other and create space to have conversations where we laugh, where we cry, where we get real serious, and because that's what life looks like. <laughs> and um, and I, I think that that's uh, yeah. I, I'm at least I know maybe selfishly that's what I want my life to look like. Is I want friends and I want conversations with people. I don't want the surface level stuff. Um, oh my I, gosh, you are like my person. I yes. don't want surface level stuff is get out of my face with the surface level stuff. I was joking actually on, I did an, an, another interview. Uh, oh gosh. I don't even remember when it was within the last um, little while where I was telling uh, the, the guest, I was like, I'm the kind of person who, again, comes as a surprise to no one is when I get in like an Uber or a Lyft or something, by the time I'm out, I know my Uber or Lyft driver's entire life story. And I'm like cheering <laughs> them on. I'm cheering yeah. them on in their like custody battle or their pursuit of their dream <laughs> of becoming a rock star in Nashville. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I now 
How many people do this? Okay. I currently follow on Instagram three of my previous <laughs> Uber drivers and I cheer them on regularly. Like I, I follow this one guy. Shout out to Ty Graham. Uh, he was my Uber driver in Nashville. He drove me to the airport and he's like a, he's like a, a country music songwriter, but he also Wait. drives for Uber. And I follow him on Instagram when he does like he performs at, you know, like singer songwriter open mic nights. I'm like, go Ty. Like I met him. He was my Uber that's driver. Amazing. Who does that? Who does that? That's, do not, that? that's not normal. Okay. So anyway, I, but that's, that's the thing is I wanted to create this space to be able to have these kind of conversations where you're not, we're calling out the stuff that needs to be called out. We're talking about the hard things. We're laughing. We're having fun. Um, and I feel like we did that. And I'm so grateful for you. Um, and I hope I can now call you a friend. Um, yes. So if you didn't. And I would <laughs> honestly, and everybody, anybody who has pink hair is immediately my friend. And um, so, yeah, if you ever have me back on, I'll tell you uh, the story with that. I would love it. I would love it. Okay, so uh, but before we go, this is the part of the show where we ask a couple of questions here at the end that I just hope to kind of leave people with. And so, the first question is, uh, Teresa, what is the last thing that made you laugh, like belly laugh? just laugh till you cry laugh till I cry so one of our kids our freshman in high school impersonates my husband really really well so my sweet husband teenagers (laughs) will keep you humble man he so Ben is like a life he's not actually a life coach but he should be a life coach and he is always just like I don't know. He's really funny about just affirming people and just all these things. So, and, and he has a lot of things that he says often, like his little, you know, phrases, whatever. So Anton, our freshman will just use all of these like key phrases and words and, you know, (laughs) and, and Ben's an entrepreneur at heart. So it's all these like entrepreneur, you know, your dreams don't work unless you do. And just, you know, all these things, but the way that he says it is like in Ben's voice and it just makes me pee my pants. I love it. it. Funny that Ben really wants to record Anton and play it for all of his Ben's like team. Like it's that funny. That's so good. Yeah. He should go as him for Halloween. Really, it's not going to be funny to you guys at all, but it's really funny to me. I love it. No, I I, <laughs> I think he should go as your husband for Halloween next year. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> yes. Well, Imani, um, our 12-year-old, they were supposed to dress up as a book character. She wanted to dress up as me. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Like, um, you're cool. Thanks, Annie. So good. So good. Okay. Now I know that you are Scandinavian and you don't cry, but um, what was the last thing that made you cry? We did cry today, actually, right before getting on here. So my friend Catherine was over um, and she, oh my gosh, you want to know her too. You would love her. She, um, she has a big story too. She is a refugee from Sierra Leone. They, um, uh, fled when she was a child. They literally were like knocking down her door, um, when they fled out the back. And anyway, she has a crazy, amazing story and she is just the most beautiful person inside and out. Anyway, she was over and we were just talking about feeling unutilized. 
and feeling like God is showing both of us some big things and um, just kind of, she, she was just kind of prophesying over some really interesting things that were lining up with some other interesting mm. things. And again, I'm not a crier and I just had like all these tears. Um, so that was one. And then the one before was a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I had this massive panic attack. And um, so I have chronic Lyme disease Mm. and um, it presents itself as MS. And so it's just been hard and uh, panic attacks are part of the part of the deal with having Lyme. Mm. So um, I like turned into a wild animal and I was making breakfast and I was making eggs and I literally threw eggs around the kitchen. Oh my I goodness. Was like, <gasps> and I had, I threw five eggs around the kitchen five eggs. And Ben, I was on the phone with Ben as I do because we're annoying high school people apparently. And, um, he hung up the phone and rushed over from his office, which isn't far away from our house. Thankfully mm. he found me in the fetal position, um, covered in eggs and carried me up to our room and like spent the entire day with me and canceled his entire day wow. of interviews with people and sweet boy. So anyway, that was my other day and I was like ugly crying and I just wow. felt such shame. And he was like, you can't have shame over a panic attack. Yeah. And I was like, I threw eggs. I threw eggs around the kitchen. And he was like, no, uh-uh. Nope. There's no shame around anxiety. There was no shame around a panic attack. Um, he was like, look me in my eyes. And I couldn't look him in his eyes. I just felt so dumb. And I just like, I was acting like a wild animal. What is wrong with me? And he was like, nope, mm -mm, nope, not at wow. all. Look me in the eyes. And he forced me to look him in the eyes. And it, I just felt so vulnerable. So anyways, that was my other crying recently time. I love and honor your vulnerability and your transparency, because I feel like so much of what you're sharing, even in just these short, the answers to, to these questions is just like, you're going to help somebody by being open and honest and transparent about that, because you're, you're not, I mean, somebody out there is listening, and they're going through the same thing. And to know that they're not the only one who's maybe had a moment where they've thrown eggs. Um, <laughs> I maybe haven't like, consciously thrown eggs, but I've certainly had moments where I've, uh, you know, uh, you know, um, but that well, that leads me to my last question. And it's the question of how do you choose joy in the good and the hard? I love this question because at the bottom of my blog, like a million years ago, when blogging was still new ish, I would sign like my little, you know, signature said take joy instead of choose joy because um i think it was beth moore at some point was talking about god offers joy and it's our choice whether or not we take it and we need to you know he's literally handing it to us and she had some scripture to back it up and i have no idea where it was i do not remember again this was like a decade ago or something um, but he is handing it to us. So will we take it? Um, so I just loved that so much. So how do I choose joy or how do I take joy is really, um, 
I have worked really, really hard within the last several years to make sure that I have margin in my life because I realized I was saying yes to all of the things and I was living far too full and I was turning into mean mom and I was turning into frazzled, overwhelmed, burnt out Teresa. (laughs) And um, I had a very short fuse. And um, I was very involved with, you know, the women's ministry at our church. And I was room mom at the preschool and I was, you know, doing all the things and working full time and just, again, saying yes to everything that was ever asked of me. And I think that a lot of us who are doing a lot of things, people automatically assume that we're gonna say yes, because, you know, we look like we have it all together. So I, you know, give it to the strong person (laughs) when in reality we're not as strong as we maybe appear um so anyway i realized i can't do that anymore and i don't want to do that anymore so the biggest way for me to choose joy is to realize that i can do all the things i just can't do it all at the same time so i need to set some things down and life is like a plate and if you fill the plate too full something is going to fall off yeah so I need to choose what comes off or else something's going to fall off. And if something falls off, it might be something really important Mm. that might break. And I don't want it to be my kids or my husband or my ministry or, you know, something that I deeply care about. So I want to select what is taken off for that time. And again, it doesn't have to be forever. And it can be something that I love, 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 or even something that I feel called to. But you can come back to it as you say no to something else and put that back on your plate later. So good. Teresa, this has been such a joy, such an honor to have you. And I am, I'm just really, really grateful for your vulnerability. I feel like I already said that, but I I just, I mean it. You just uh, exude, you exude joy. And um, thank you for being here. Thank you for the work you're doing and for what you put out into the world. Everybody go get Teresa's new Bible study, finding your place in God's story or finding your God's place in your story or whatever it is. Um, something something it has something about god and a story and a place in it so um the answer is always jesus the answer is always jesus yeah that's what i always tell my kid my kid especially my six-year-olds like that like if i ask a question he's like jesus and i'm like jesus isn't the answer for everything okay (laughs) have you gotten dressed today jesus um Where are your socks? Jesus? Uh, oh, man. Um, well, I just, I, I adore you and I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Teresa is the kind of woman who, the moment you speak with her, you immediately feel like her best friend. I was so grateful for her just raw honesty and willingness to answer hard questions and to say, you know what, I don't even know, <laughs> you know, to, you know, just to have those moments where she is just really sharing her heart. I loved it. Be sure to tune in next week where my guest is Megan Hyatt Miller. And we talk all about mindset. Oh my goodness. Our conversation is so good. And I realize maybe I say this every single week, but I'm telling you, Megan is 
phenomenal. I have had her on my podcast before. She's becoming uh, what I like to call a dear friend because she is just really so wonderful. And I really think that if we lived near each other, we would hang out all the time. You're going to love it. So be sure to tune in next week. I would love to know what you loved about this episode. So you can let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your social medias. And if you would take a moment to head on over to whatever podcast platform you're listening on and click that subscribe or follow button for the show and take a moment to leave a review, it really does help us to know what you're liking, how you're liking the show, and it helps get the show in front of new eyes and ears. As always, thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry.